Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about making paper clips. I'm Dave Ramsey. <laughs> and I'm Joe Simpson. Anyway, how's it going, Dave? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, yeah, anything interesting in your world? Yeah, I think this is going to be the unproductive episode of VR Hermits. I don't think either of us got a lot done this week from just talking before the show. Well, I, I think it sounded like we got a lot done. We just didn't accomplish much. So it's the yeah. total lack of accomplishment podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time learning about AI, but typical Joe going down the rabbit hole, I spent too many hours watching an MIT course on artificial intelligence and not <laughs> enough time in front of Unity. <laughs> so, yeah. But- did you learn anything neat? Neat, yes. Useful, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just I made some progress, but I'm, I made what I'm terming uh, inverted progress because I have less of a working application now this week than I did last week. But it's different. So there's that. <laughs> so long vector pointed in the wrong direction. Pretty much, yeah. Got it. Or I'm still pointed in the right direction, but I'm going negative forward. Well, I did have an opportunity to stop by your place this week and see what I'm calling your department. <laughs> nice. Um, and... Uh, Looks pretty good. I I like the place. Yeah? Yeah. So you've seen pretty much what's been in my last couple of screenshots on Twitter. I haven't really changed much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all pretty much placeholder assets, but you, you can get a, a sense of the scale of things. And I think you commented that some of the scaling of individual assets was still a bit off, like the, the stove and the counter were still too high because they felt normal to you. Or they yeah. they felt they but, felt like they were sized appropriately to you when you're used to everything being too small. Yeah, I'm I'm about six one in shoes, and so that means that everything is just a little bit low for me, basically across the board. Yeah, and the kitchen counter in your apartment seemed at like the perfect height. Like I could do a lot of work here without bending over and getting a crick in my back, which naturally means that it's too high. Yeah. Do we yeah. know anybody who's like four and a half feet tall? Um my mom's close. She's four eleven. I don't know anybody that much shorter though. So without external input like, okay, on the Vive, there's the external lighthouses that would notice if somebody was only four feet tall playing mm-hmm. the thing and put them at the right height. So that the height should be natural off of the ground. It should feel very immersive. What happens with that in something like uh, uh, Daydream? I haven't looked into it too much, but what I've seen so far from Google's stuff is just to use 1.7 Unity units as the average and... That's good enough. Okay. So it, it um, puts a head in approximately the head place and calls mm-hmm. that good. 
Like most humans have a head within a head distance of here. <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine like a little totem pole of three heads. We're we're in there somewhere, I think. 1.7 heads. Okay. 1.7 heads. No, 1.7 unity units is where you put the, the main camera. Yes, but the mnemonic is going to work much better as 1.7 heads. Because I've got a okay. very, very vivid mental picture now of like one head and then a sliced off one just kind of sitting on top of it. And I'm now going to remember how high that is. Mm-hmm. Now, it would be really easy to move that camera around and just have a setting buried in the app somewhere of just put in your put in your height in feet or meters and we can mm-hmm. reset the camera height um, and just have that saved with the app. I'm not sure. I haven't seen anybody do that, but I haven't really looked for that either. Um, yeah, that's, it's on my list of things to look into, but it's way down in the someday maybe section of the project. Sure. But uh, yeah, all of, pretty much everything you saw was you know low poly stuff from the asset store. Um, I made the walls and the floors in Maya, and you know they just they're just big cubes stretched out in various ways. Nothing special mm-hmm. about them, but they're exactly the size that I want after a week and a half of slowly shrinking the apartment down. And then uh, placeholder materials on that. Everything is flat right now. There's going to be some slightly better textures. Um, and I have kind of a, 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 sh- a shiny, glossy tile for the bathroom is what I want. And more of a, a hard ceramic tile for the kitchen area. And then possibly a hardwood floor texture for the rest of the place. Although maybe maybe carpet, but... I don't think I like the idea of carpet. I don't like carpet in reality, so I don't really like carpet in VR either. But the the rug in your living room has a very, 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 very thick pile stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's have a just, pretty serious rug. Well, it's there to cover up the low-quality carpet in my apartment. Ah. But the last three places I've lived have all had like 100 year old hardwood floors and they were glorious they're very loud but really comfortable and easy to keep clean whereas apartment an apartment with carpet is a chore (laughs) it constantly needs vacuumed yeah a hardwood floor makes it a lot easier to scoop up the dog hair as well Mm -hmm. those little tumbleweeds rolling across the floor and yeah that's when you know there's too much dog hair floating around yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, neither you nor I have a particular drive towards or interest in um, photorealism for our yeah. areas. And so with that caveat in mind, I think the apartment looks great. Yeah, sweet. So I've had it, you know, those were all the placeholder assets and... I'm still on the fence of whether or not I want to use anything from the asset store in the project. I see the pros and cons, and honestly, I'm new enough at this, and this project is simple enough that I could probably get away with it. Um, I just don't have a lot of faith in my ability to make good assets at this point, even low-poly stuff. 
So I just need to I need to spend more time doing it. I haven't I don't think I opened Maya at all last week. Um, one thing I need to do, or at least think about doing, is getting a replacement VR machine for the Razer I got rid of. Not necessarily for a workstation to work on and develop on, but just something that can run VR so I could dive back into some of the VR 3D model creation tools like Google Blocks and see if I can pick that stuff up a little bit easier than these enormous Pro Tools with years of you know, of feature updates. So that's that's on my think about think about real hard list. Um, that may be happening soon. I'm not sure yet. You know, as another interesting option, um, I still have sitting in the corner over here a new inbox uh, Apple VR developer kit uh, external oh, GPU. Do you? Mm. I do. I didn't return mine in time, so I missed the return window. But I haven't cracked it open or worked with it. So if you give it a little while longer for some of that stuff to get better Mac support, mm-hmm. you may just be able to relatively inexpensively skip the window side entirely. Yeah, that's worth looking into. We'll have to talk about that after the show because that's I hadn't thought of that. There, I did some poking around last week, and it's kludgy, but there are people getting external GPUs working with bootcamp windows. And it takes a lot of work, and I'd probably have to have one of my IT friends come over to do some of that stuff. Because last time I tried, I wiped a partition. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really well, want to go back down that road. I'm just thinking if you just spend the next couple weeks burning really hard on making this the area that you've already built really good and mm-hmm. making the game good and leave assets for later just let that time build up for all the technology to settle down a little bit mm-hmm. it's moving pretty quick yeah an idea yeah that, i haven't checked apple's release notes steam vr is still in experimental mode on mac there's really nothing there yet I don't know when Google would actually like it, it's up to the individual app developers to update their apps for Mac if and when that happens. But when I back in June when I looked into Apple's external GPU support, it was on their roadmap for second quarter of 2018. So I don't think it was anytime soon. So yeah, High Sierra supports external GPUs not necessarily for Steam VR or for VR in general. It's just yeah, you can plug them in now. Right. Like, thanks. So yeah, I'm, I'm real fuzzy on all that. I haven't spent a lot of time looking into it recently. But I know some good IT people in the neighborhood that can help me with it. And they also have other things they can contribute to the project. So there's, you know, there's make stuff in Maya, use stuff in the asset store, make stuff in blocks or some of the other applications in VR. And then the other option would be commission some artwork. And I had previously not even considered this as an option because I'm a small standalone person without a ton of money for this project. But I saw somebody that I follow on Twitter who is making a game and has posted a ton of screenshots of the work that they've done say that he wants to support the development on his game by doing some freelance 3d model creation for other developers 
And I'm like, okay, sounds cool. And then he said some prices that I have no basis for comparison. So I'm not sure if these are really low or average or high, but they seemed great to me, which was $15, $15 for a 3D model or $20 with a model if you want it textured with you know material. And that seems awesome. Um, that's <laughs> that that's way more expensive than an asset pack where I can get you know two thousand three D models for sixty bucks. But so can everybody else get those. But I can get custom work made by an expert for fifteen bucks, twenty bucks. That sounds incredible to me. It sounds like freaking magic to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the work that yeah, artists I, do I, is magic to me. Honestly. Yes. Yes, entirely. I mean, I'm I don't understand how any piece of artwork, painting, drawing or anything costs less than like a grand. It just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't get um, how they how they get it out of their head into not head. Right. Like I have plenty of stuff in my head. I just can't make my hands do anything useful with that stuff. Well, and and that's one thing but doing it fast enough to be able to sell it at that kind of price. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine being able to make a good looking coffee mug fast enough to be able to sell it for less than a hundred bucks. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of like, <clears throat> what could I do in FileMaker for 20 bucks? <laughs> I mean, Log in and move a field, two pixels up. Yeah, I guess. Like Th- I, then again, our billable rate is a little higher. Yeah, I um, I, I periodically would receive a support request from a customer that was so simple. They're like, "Okay, go ahead and bill me." I'm like, "I'm not gonna bother." It yeah. was. It literally took me thirty seconds. And it will cost me more to process this invoice than I will get from having you pay the invoice. Yeah, exactly. So never mind. Those are those are goodwill features. Don't worry it's about it. It's a good it. term for it. So yeah, not a ton of progress. Um, I got some options to consider. Also, the 3D stuff isn't urgent like i'm satisfied with what i have now that i can use placeholder paul and the low poly asset pack which sounds like a great name for like a singing traveling band (laughs) placeholder paul and the low polys no yeah i'm 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 trying to figure out if it's you know chip tunes stuff or if it's like I mean, looking at Placeholder Paul, it needs to be incredibly off-key, off-tempo chiptunes. He is an now abomination. Now less pleasant. Yeah. I, I showed him to a friend who was appropriately mortified. <laughs> like, uh, appalled? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so this morning, I... Actually, I came across this the other day and I saved it for today. There was a blog post on Unity's blog. Um, I forget the exact title, but essentially the gist of it was a developer, I think they worked at ARM. Um, and I think this was just mostly a hobby project. 
but they had figured out a way to get six degrees of freedom positional tracking working in Daydream or in Google VR, mobile VR, Samsung VR, whichever, with using uh, Google Tango or AR Core. So they started this little project back in June with Tango and one of the phones that actually supported Daydream and Tango. And then recently they redid the project with AR Core. Um, and it's pretty cool stuff. It's definitely possible. I went through the tutorial on my end, but didn't get it working because I'm not willing to drill a hole in my Daydream view for the camera. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. But it is but, pretty but cool. You're, you're about to have a new one, right? I have I have two here, but I'm still not drilling a hole in either of them. Oh. No. If you want to buy me a third one, one of the ugly colors that I don't like, then I'll have I'll be happy to drill a hole in it. But these these are my my precious HMDs. <laughs> precious. Yeah. I mean these these are like my, you know, Nintendo and Atari of VR. You know, they're, gotcha. they're super simple and early, but I'm keeping them in my vibe forever until I don't. So you can pull them out in front of your uh, uh, grandnieces and grandnephews and go, when I was a kid. Yeah. Is he FaceTiming again? We stopped using that 50 years ago. <laughs> you start giving iOS devices to your your great grand nieces and nephews and... Be like, well, this is just here so we can communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a pretty neat little tutorial. I haven't done anything with AR Core today, and it was just as simple as setting up Daydream with Unity. Just download a uh, an asset pack and or a package and import it, and some player settings, some project settings, and checking a couple boxes, and you're up and running. Uh, so I may be playing around with that more. It's still AR core itself is still super early experimental days. Um, so it's definitely not intended for prime time at this point. But it's some pretty neat stuff. You, you may see me walking around holding my phone up at people or at objects in the coming weeks. Well, how about this? You can leave that flap open, right? No. No? No. You need it for light isolation, right? And to hold the phone in. Well, right, but if you used like rubber bands, you could hold the phone in, but you'd still need the light isolation. Yeah. Hmm. I'm wondering if there's a way you can attach it enough without drilling a hole. Yeah, I mean, other people are using cardboard and stuff like that. I just don't have one handy. Mm. Gotcha. But yeah. you know, it's 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 a fun little experiment, and it's noteworthy. But it's not anything I can ship with. Definitely not. So, your this is. I apologize for the not pre-discussed topic. Um. You're much more more up on everything that's available as far as VR hardware and systems and stuff like that than I am. Apparently, my 
niece has just popped up saying that she really wants something, some way to do VR stuff for Christmas. Okay. And their entire family is Apple and iOS based. Okay. So with no currently in-house game system that does that stuff and no in-house phones that properly integrate with whatever kind of headsets, what is the cheapest path to moderately like halfway decent VR? Um, Currently with what's on the market, it would be buying a Samsung phone or a daydream supported phone and one of those headsets. If Oculus gets their new Oculus go out by Christmas, then that would be the way to go. It's 200 bucks as opposed to the cost of the phone, which could be, you know, five or $600 even for a used one. Um, I really, really hope they get that out by Christmas because that'll be incredible. We can talk more about that, but it's it's a new three degree of freedom mobile VR standalone headset. It runs Samsung Gear VR apps, and I'm assuming you'll be able to just target it specifically at some point. I'm not sure if it's still, I'm assuming it's running some flavor of Android under the hood, but I think it's entirely skinned just for Oculus software, Oculus games, which is a just an awesome design constraint. Like, how do you make an entire OS, the entire user experience, that can only ever be in VR? Like in Daydream, it's pretty common for an app to pop you out of VR to enter a password or something like that. You can't do that with a device like Oculus Go. So just uh, some really fascinating design challenges around that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I've got the page up. Or, no, it's not going to be by Christmas. Arriving early 2018. Okay. So, so I, I, I was leaning towards a punt for next year kind of yeah. thing. There was also, I, I remember some conversations early in VR where everybody said, they didn't know what would happen if you exposed a young child with still developing eyes mm-hmm. to VR for multiple hours a day. Yeah. So Daydream is saying 13 and older only. Um, I've seen, as far as I know, everybody is still saying no kids. But I've seen more posts recently on Twitter and more blog posts of people talking about VR and education and talking about how VR can help younger kids learn. So people are doing science on this, but it just takes a long time to actually get meaningful results about something this impactful on vision. Sure. Unless it's catastrophically bad in the immediate short term. You have to wait a couple of years to see how bad their vision turns out. Yeah. Yeah. How old is your niece? She's currently 10. Okay. Does Um, she like Star Wars? Does she like Star Wars? Uh-huh. Uh, I don't honestly know. If she does, that that um, AR Star Wars lightsaber thing may be a good uh, alternative to VR this year. Probably won't. It won't be as, as strenuous on the eyes, and it's accessible, and it's something that pretty much the whole household could have fun with. I, I can't imagine humans who don't like Star Wars, so... I'm just assuming that they do. 
I'm guessing she probably does. I mean, if you'd ever met my brother-in-law, I know she's been exposed to it. <laughs> I just don't know if it's a great and abiding love or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in general, the things that you're telling me are the things that I was anticipating your answers would be. Mm. Um, the 13 and older is an interesting line. And honestly, my sister would probably be perfectly happy to just go, yeah, you're not old enough. Yeah. You know, you can pop in from time to time every once in a while, but you're just not old enough for having VR equipment in the house. Yeah. Unfortunately. For now. For now. Today. So yeah, this this AR... I'm not sorry. Looking at the wrong line. But this Oculus Go and this class of devices has me really excited. Um, obviously, it's still a limited device in terms of rendering and three degrees of freedom. But it's a it's an all-in-one package of here is your handful of VR. You don't have to configure your phone. You don't have to free up enough storage. You don't have to have a beefy PC. You don't have to run Windows. You don't have to have a Steam account. You do have to have an Oculus account, and everything is going to be an Oculus. Um, but it's just a really cool thing. So far, I haven't owned any Oculus devices. At one point, I ordered one and canceled it. Um, I may pick one of these up, but this honestly may be something that I don't know if I pick it up for development or just pick it up to play with it and kind of spread the message of VR and like start giving these to people. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, it's 200 bucks. You can get a lot of people hooked on VR. I'm really hoping uh, Google follows up with one of these. Although I think they're going to skip the 3DOF version and go straight for their WorldSense standalone headset. Um, that's something else that Oculus announced last week. Was uh, It's a project, I think, project's codename uh, Santa Cruz. And it is a higher-end mobile VR headset with inside-out tracking and six degrees of freedom. So that one is further down the pipeline. I think they're looking to have dev kits ready for that early next year, but that's going to take a lot longer for product development and really to, to get that working. Um, frankly, I had hoped that Google would be out with their WorldSense headset by the end of the year, but I haven't heard a peep about that in quite a while. So that doesn't sound good. Yeah, I just really, you know, I've, I remember thinking about Oculus back in the DK1 days when a coworker showed it to me and I was just kind of unimpressed because of just how much stuff I would have needed. Right. Um, and even having the Vive, the Vive is awesome and the current version of the Oculus is awesome, but it's still just, I need a room of my house. I need all this equipment. I need all these wires everywhere. It's still a lot to take in. Um, oh yeah, I was I was considering taking it to a family gathering. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to haul. Yeah, where if you had you know two or three Oculus Go's that you could take with you, you'd, you'd still be the star of the show. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's I, I'm just really excited about that form factor and that just the concept of a standalone device. Like a, a VR appliance, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. I really like the concept. It would probably make for a much better 
gift for my niece in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I would be much more excited about a Six Degrees of Freedom, but yeah. we've talked about that. That's just my own personal preference. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get there. Yeah. I mean, Oculus is already working on it. It's just probably a, at least a year out, I would guess. And these things, one thing I learned from listening to all those VR podcasts is these things have a way of taking much longer than we think. <laughs> that's that's standard engineering. Yeah. What was Especially, the thing? Everybody under, everybody overestimates how much they can accomplish in a year and underestimates how much they can accomplish in 10. Yeah. I can't remember whose statement that was. Yeah, I've heard that. So while we're talking about HMDs, I got my new Daydream View on Friday and been been playing around with it. And so far it is mostly positive. Um, The head strap, the top head strap is awesome. It really does distribute the weight more evenly. It's about kind of where the Vive was without the deluxe audio strap. Um, So it's, it's fairly comfortable. I would still prefer the immaculate experience of the deluxe audio strap, but that's not an option right now. Um, the heatsink works, but not nearly the way that they want you. I guess it's, it's a technicality. I even saw the head of VR at Google tweeting on Friday that the new heatsink keeps the phone cooler than it would be outside of VR. And like that, okay. Um, when my phone's not in VR, it's not hot. And when it's in VR, it is hot, even with this new heat sink. And it, I did get to stay in VR quite a bit longer the first session. I just put it on, to, you know, how long can I keep this on? And I think I was I made it about an hour and 15 minutes instead of 45 minutes. Um, but that last 10 minutes was, like, pretty awful rendering. Like, I can just see it deteriorating pretty rapidly. Um, that may be possibly the way I was using it too. I was bouncing around from a lot of different apps. So opening and closing an app in VR has, you know, a pretty big impact. Just adding a ton of assets to RAM, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so the heatsink doesn't work quite as advertised, but it's, again, they're being so ambiguous about that, that I can't really say that they're lying. Um, the my big complaint with it is the Fresno lenses work absolutely beautifully in games and anything with rendered 3D content and absolutely atrociously with UI and with video. So watching YouTube videos or Netflix or HBO Go is a go-to use case for these types of headsets and the just the distortion and the guide rays from any white content on a dark background is terrible. It was almost impossible to see what I was looking at in the YouTube app yesterday. Um, and I put the other, the, the first generation Daydream View on with the same session running, and it was just clear as day. So just just the lenses themselves have a really negative impact on that type of use case. They do have a wider field of view, which is great for games, um, but. I think for the time being, I'll be keeping both of them and using them both for different things. Like if I want to watch 
an episode of something in Netflix, I'll use the old one. If I want to play some games, I'll use the new one. As long as it's not a two-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the old one is... For for just video, I can probably get an hour out of it. Um, for more intensive stuff, it would always kind of start complaining around 45 minutes. Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to explode, but you should really... Take the head, the phone out of the headset. <laughs> I would, love, I would love to rewrite that that dialogue for them. Like with a countdown, Nuclear reactor meltdown. Yeah, face meltdown. Way back in the day, the Mac OS used to have a basically just a little file in the operating system that stored all of the strings, and so you could go through and just manually replace all of the error messages. And it was kind of awesome. Yeah. Was- Particularly since the operating system pretty much had to be on the floppy disk with whatever you wanted to run. So you could have a special operating system just for a particular game you wanted to play. So like get you in the zone or whatever. I don't know. It was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was some of that. And I think it was in FileMaker 11. You could rewrite the local error message text somewhere in the in the folder and we just used to add some pretty funny stuff to coworkers at a previous job back when we had coworkers yeah long time ago so yeah that's pretty much my thoughts on the new daydream it's more comfortable a little bit better with heat lenses are both better and worse field of view is much improved but the uh Fresno lenses are pretty harsh. And I would say it's been a while since I've watched video in the Vive, but it was it wasn't bad. This is just a, a negative experience. Like it's not worth watching. The screen is too fuzzy. It's just yeah. I'm not sure if if app developers need to do something to support these specific lenses. If if they do, then I would have expected Google to have done that already with YouTube, but it just looks terrible. So sure. hopefully they do something about that. So that brings us to the most important topic of the week. Paper clips. Paper clips. So here's here's the giant screaming spoiler warning. This game about making paperclips has spoilers. Yes. So we're going to be talking about all sorts of fun stuff with this game. But if you haven't played it, pause now. Yeah. Go play it. Come back to this. Yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. If you're here for just the VR, then this is where you want to get off today. Because this couldn't be any less VR if it tried. Um, In order to be less VR than this, it would have to be printed out on paper. Yeah. Which, yeah, maybe later. Don't don't start. (laughs) Don't start. Anyway, so I found this game a couple weeks ago on Twitter. Just somebody that I follow had mentioned it, and I clicked on it, and then lost an entire afternoon and evening of my life of it. And then the next morning... A good part of that as well. Um, you had a similar experience 
And essentially this game is you play as an AI who is uh, an expert system AI who has been tasked with a single task of producing paper clips. So taking some wire off some kind of spindle, I assume, and then cutting them into paper clips or clipping them as they say. And then those go into an inventory and they can be sold and you can stock up money to buy more wire or to buy auto clippers or other things that can help you produce paper clips better and faster. So that's the very boring initial premise. And then pretty quickly, within a couple of minutes, the AI starts gaining abilities and getting smarter. And at some point early in the game, it kind of achieves enough sentience to be smarter than the humans it's selling paper clips to. And then it just gets crazy from there. Um, so that's kind of the description of it. This entire thing is based off of a, a thing called the paperclip maximizer, which was kind of a, a thinking, I'm using the wrong term. Thought experiment? Thought experiment uh, from a book called Superintelligence by Neil Bostrom. Um, I think he wrote it in 2003 or maybe just this experiment in 2003. I'll put a link to that in the show note as well. I listened to the book on Audible a couple months ago and it was, you know, pretty good. It was a little, I was already on board with the major premise of the book. So I spent, I think it felt like half of the book was trying to get me to agree to something that I was already on board with. Um, but other <laughs> than that, it was, you know, an enjoyable listen. I did speed it up a little bit because it was a bit tedious at times. But it's full of, you know, the first half of the book is full of these types of thought experiments of like, why? Okay, well, if we can't do that, then surely we can just have an AI make paper clips. There's no harm in that, right? Well, <laughs> maybe there is. So what do you think about it? Um, I came to the game from a slightly odd point because I didn't really read anything about it. You just sent me this link and said, here, check this out. And so I started playing not knowing that it was all about being an AI. Mm -hmm. And so initially I'm playing to maximize uh, dollars. Like maximizing cash flow, mm -hmm. not necessarily maximizing making as many paper clips as humanly possible. There are a lot of things in the game that, um, you know, unlocking additional abilities and things like this are very often tied to the quantity of total paper clips you have produced, not the amount of cash in the bank or how efficiently you've done that, but just the sheer quantity of paper clips that have been made. Um, to a certain degree, selling paper clips is almost secondary. Yeah. Because all you want to do is just make them more efficiently. Um, which is cool. I just didn't really realize that when I started playing the game. Then once I realized it was about the AI and just really about making the clips, um, I was, it was getting pretty far into the, into the first section of the game. And I'm making massive numbers of paper clips, and I eventually get to the point where I'm selling like a quarter million dollars worth of paper clips a second. <laughs> um, and 
this kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because no matter how good the AI is or how bad, how badly limited the AI is, so that it just starts running amok, at some point, somebody's going to notice that we're filling warehouses with paper clips and shut the thing down, or it's going to be limited by the fact that we can't sell a quarter million dollars worth of paper clips a second. Well, I, this was really bothering me. Well, I think What's the that? I think the, the developer tried to deal with that contradiction by some of the kind of snarky comments of like basically at that point the AI was brainwashing humans into buying paper clips. Mm-hmm. Like it was no longer advertising; it was manipulation at that point. Yeah. The realization that I had that made it all work for me again was recognizing that some of our biggest issues with AIs so far has not been from a single AI. It's been from multiple ones interacting mm-hmm. and not realizing what's going on. There was a big stock market crash a number of years ago when a couple of trading expert systems started f- generating a feedback loop off of each other. And so the, the, uh, market lost a huge amount of value very quickly because it just started this big cascading sell-off of stock all over the place. And they had to make some adjustments on you know quite how quickly those systems are allowed to act and things of that nature. But, um, so yeah, so, so all I had to do then was just posit a fictitious um, paperclip buying AI, <laughs> whose entire job it is to buy paperclips as efficiently as humanly possible. And these two AIs don't actually know anything about each other. And so those two, in a constant cycle, could drain the money out of a company the size of Microsoft very, very quickly just by buying 800 billion paperclips. So... Suddenly, I'm all okay with it again. It all works for me. Yeah. So that's all fine. For me, because this is a game with a lot of clicking and then waiting, for me, it was fun to just imagine like certain parts of like, okay, I see this much money per second or per hour being made and spent. And at some point, I'm like, okay, so we're now at the point where the AI is actually turning iPhones into paper clips. Like iPhones have become less valuable than paper clips. Just weird. But yeah, so the the game consists in I say two big sagas or nope, chapters. Three. 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 Yep. The first part is making paper clips on Earth. The second part is making paper clips out of our entire solar system. That was basically converting the entire mass of mm-hmm. this system into paperclips and paperclip making machines. And then the third section is the von Neumann machines. Okay. Yeah, I kind of I kind of thought of the second two together, but I can see how they're separate. Nope. At the tail end of two, it actually makes you sell off all of your stuff and convert it into paperclips. Nice. So the the whole time I'm playing this, I, having already read the book, I'm just waiting for the von Neumann thing the whole time. <laughs> um, and that that touches on another series of books. I don't know. I'm not sure how much we've talked about it on the show, but uh, the Bobaverse 
There are three books by Dennis E. Taylor. Um, came out end of last year, and be, there's been two released this year. Just a lot of fun. Um, just fun, dorky sci-fi about, without giving too much away, it's about an AI and a von Neumann probe. And then you got to figure out the rest when you read the book. So this stuff is already on my mind from an entertainment standpoint. Um, one thing I wasn't quite sure of, the game did time me playing it. I think it was like 7 hours and 54 minutes or 52 minutes was my first run of the game. It wasn't clear to me if that was actual time in the in the game universe. Because if, if everything happened that quickly, that just seems totally impossible. Yeah, let's say no, because there just isn't a decent way to get to the next star system yeah. that quickly. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't, there was nothing in the text that posited the existence of even warp drives, much less teleportation drives. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be quite a bit longer. There's also a couple of spots where the game plays funny with time. Um, like, uh, the, it starts giving you a countdown timer for, what was it? Was it in the second part or was it something in the, it's when it's, it's generating more of something. The, the spare probe assets will make more computational stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and it will tell you how long it takes to make the the next chunk of computational resources. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it's a minute and a half. And then as you use fewer and fewer probes, that time gets longer. I noticed that that particular section had a tendency to have a really loose definition of a second. <laughs> like if I, if I gave it few enough probes, it would say this is going to be nine minutes. And in a minute and a half, it would say eight minutes and 30 seconds. Hmm. And you can either make the seconds longer or you can make me take more of them, but you can't really do both. Yeah. Anyway, small buggish sort of thing. And honestly, I don't know how much of that might have been impacted by uh, the fact that I was running it on my phone. See, Joe didn't tell me what he was sending me. So I get the link on my phone and I'm like, hey, I'll, okay, I'll just check this out. So I start pressing buttons on my phone. And by the time I realize that this is going to take me a really long time to play, I've been staring at my phone for an hour and a half and I don't want to give up my progress. So I spent the next eight and a half hours staring at my phone, playing until the battery gets all the way down and then plugging in and playing while the battery goes back up and then unplugging and playing while the battery three, two, two and a half, three full charges. Nice. Through my phone. Um, and in general, that would have worked just fine, except for the fact that tapping quickly enough on the browser on the phone will act like a double tap, which does a zoom in or a zoom out. And so in certain situations, you want to be able to hit a button very, very quickly. And that did not work exceptionally well on the phone. Yeah, that's really handy with a mouse. There's these uh, quantum computers that 
they kind of phase in and out of activity mode. You have to click really fast to get a bunch of extra, whatever they're called, points during that phase so you can unlock additional achievements. Yeah. So, so don't try and play this on your phone because you'll have a better experience someplace else. Yeah, definitely. I haven't... So far, I've only done one game at a time, but... It, it uses your local browser cache, so you can't really have multiple versions running in the same browser. But I do have four browsers installed. <laughs> so maybe this weekend, someday. Um, Race yourself? Yeah. Actually, it's the Paperclips browser performance test. Yeah. <laughs> the most inefficient It turns test. out that Chrome is best at making paperclips. Who knew? Yeah. Um, go ahead. So yeah, it was just a, a really fun little diversion. I've sent the link to a lot of people. Um, I don't usually evangelize games quite like that, but I had to make sure as many people as possible heard about this game. Um, in general, the primary kind of design concept for the game engine itself is uh, built around a mechanism that is commonly referred to as engine building. It's trying to build an economic engine to produce X, Y, or Z and do that as efficiently or with as much output as possible. And I've known for a while that I really like those games. That made me really like the paperclip game. <laughs> Um, it just it tickled all the right little spots, mm. even while having basically no GUI to speak of. Yeah, this was almost. Just, I mean, just the. It was just stock HTML objects. Like here's yeah a text label. Here's a field. Here's a button. Here's a little chart. There you go. Yep. At least up until it gets to the combat section, there's I mean, a little bit of dot animation there, but. I mean, it, it's so boring looking that you could easily pass what you're doing off as work or something productive. <laughs> Which I wonder if that was the intention. It could be. The biggest problem that I find with the game overall is it... I enjoyed it enough that it made me want to go learn some more HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Start making that kind of thing. Well, the thing is, like, now I'm thinking... On the work side, like, I bet I could build a version of this in Excel. <laughs> make a FileMaker version. Just take all of those tools and make a, a version of Paperclips. Although I was thinking last night, I, I had seen a, a video on procedural generation in No Man's Sky. And I played No Man's Sky a little bit. Um, but it immediately occurred to me, how awesome would it be to start a game of No Man's Sky as one of these von Neumann probes who is landing to start making paperclips. You don't have to keep you know, the perspective of that first probe, but basically starting paperclips, the game, in the No Man's Sky universe, just and just kind of go from there. Uh, have you seen Factorum? No, I've heard of it. Factorum or Factorial? 
But I, I'm, is it Factorio? Yeah. Factorio. Yes, that game has elements of that. Like, crash land on a planet. Build this monstrosity of an engine that just starts basically consuming the surface of the planet. Yeah, I think one of our presenters at Cough Mug had talked about that game briefly in his introduction, and I immediately decided to never play it because I didn't want to lose a huge portion of my life. But Yeah, they described it as one of the primary time-consuming elements of their life, and it has some serious possibilities for that. I actually own the game. I haven't played it in a while. I need to dig back in and see what else they've made, what new stuff has been added. Oh my gosh. I was looking at their webpage. So far, over one million people have bought the game. Wow. Joe, make a game like that. <laughs> Apparently. So, as I was paying, playing Paperclips the second time, it occurred to me, this would be really really fun to, to play with friends. Or maybe there needs to be an entire esports league of people playing Paperclips. Like, how fast can... How fast or how efficiently or combinations of different metrics can you finish the game or can you finish the first chapter or how much money can you make? There's a lot of different ways to set goals for it. That um, would actually be an interesting metric. Like money? Like I, I, have, no, I have no interest. Game in, isn't optimized for that. I have no interest in esports, but I would pay good money to watch a bunch of people play paperclips <laughs> competitively. <laughs> Um, the other option, the other idea was, uh, VR apps like big screen where you can have multiple people with their desktop in VR, like hanging out, working, you could get a group of people playing paperclips in VR. We're doing a very boring, mundane, non-VR task, but yeah, maybe not. Yeah, no, I I loved it. It was great. Yeah, makes me want. It, it made me want to go back and play all of my old engine building games, all the way back to a game that we used to play on the Atari eight hundred, that came out of the antic Atari programming magazine, that uh, was a stock trading game that me and a buddy of mine got really really good at. And just just figured out all the innards to the engine and just started making millions and millions and millions of dollars until we rolled over the uh, integer limit. Nice. <laughs> and, and it rolled over. We're like, okay, apparently that's the end of the game. Yeah. Let's stop there. Yeah, I don't need to know about any more of these games anytime soon. <laughs> You've learned what you can learn. Everything else is going to be lost time. Absolutely. But goodness, they're fun. Yes, definitely. Anyway, that's all I have for this week. We will. I will do my best to dive back in and make some significant process progress this week and have something more interesting VR and development related to talk about next week. Me too. 
That's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. And thanks for listening. 